the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Oh, great one. It's Rob Black and your money. I'm the great one today. hi Johnny Carson, not a very nice man, but that's okay. So everyone wants free advice, which I think you're hurting yourself on. I can't tell you how many people I see try to do it themselves and then they mess up and they'll even go to a seminar and take pictures of the slides and think I can do this. But in the end, they can't do it. Otherwise, they would have done it. And when they try to replicate it, it gets kind of like a little bit confusing because things change. Environments are different. 2000 ushered in a millennial change, right? And uh, the way we do business kind of started getting faster and cheaper and roadblocks came down. And if you wanted to start your own business, I saw Amazon has a thing now where if you want to start a delivery business, they will help you and they will help you buy a car or a van. They will help you buy a fleet of cars or vans. They will put their logo on it, and they will help you hire people. So if you want to start a bit like, wait, wait, don't you have to go to college to start a business, or don't you have to have a great idea? No. Amazon's saying, we need little birds to go to do our delivery work, right? So things change. Probably the number one thing that I see people do is just try to cheat and say, what? give me advice for free. And the best thing I can say on advice is look for trends. So let's bring in Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. Good morning. As the baby boomers get older, they take more drugs. And when you hear stories of like Viagra selling out, you know, just dominant because they're taking more baby boomers get older. They go to the doctor. They say, hey, I saw a commercial. Hey, can I get that? So the trend of the aging of the boomer was a big one for investing. Now, let's talk some trends on real estate, supply and demand. We've been in a trend where there's been not enough supply, too much demand, and what happened in those, you know, eight, nine, ten years? It was a trend. It was eight, nine, ten years of low supply and high demand. And it's not a surprise of what happened. Yeah, and we're in a trend right now that's um, it's hard to get away from. Um, and it's lasted a long time. And we have short memories in real estate. And I'm not saying that not a lot. Of, there's still people out there that remember our last crisis or recession, the Great Recession, whatever you want to call it. But it... It's it's interesting to see that some people are still making the same mistakes that they made last time. Yeah. Or at least thinking that way, the speculators. So it, it, we did usher in a very interesting age. Uh, baby boomers are, uh, and I, I'm glad you brought up that point. We, what are we going to do with the baby boomers? I, I think the baby boomers are one of the, I don't want to say problems, but they could be the cure to the real estate uh, uh, crisis that we're in now and we are in a crisis of short inventory we're just not seeing enough buildings so it always comes down to the whole question is where people are going to move um because we're all we're seeing right now are apartment buildings yeah and i'm sure if that answers your question close enough 
But I think the trend on inventory, and this is a big statistic in, in real estate when you see new homes and existing homes, of how many days of inventory there are. At about three months, it's considered a... Three, three to six months, it could be considered normal. Healthy. Healthy. Nine, and it's suddenly a buyer's market because that seller has been put that house on the market for nine months. And that's like a long, that's how long it takes to make a baby, right? Yeah. It's long. It, We're talking, I think, right now, 50 days, I think, nationally. Yeah, it depends on, yeah, locally, it's yeah. going to be different. Locally, like, it's yeah, different, yeah. Locally, in some cities, it's like three days on the market. Uh, sale pending, almost as soon as for sale sign goes up. Or, you know, showing this Sunday, Monday morning, sale pending. Uh, but I think that's a trend. And I think you're going to see into the end of the year with the higher interest rates, with the higher mortgage rates, albeit they do fluctuate, we should see a building of inventory this fall. We're getting out of the spring season. We're moving into the summer season. Foot traffic's a little bit lower. We should see some, some building, off incredibly low levels of inventory in markets like Boston, Detroit, Nashville. Um I don't want to say realtors are unreliable when it comes to the information because they it seems like they're always saying, oh, yeah, more inventory is coming on the market. And, and we kind of hear that every spring and every fall, the two big buying seasons and selling seasons of the year. And we're hearing the same thing about this fall. Um, and there's a, you know, there's a reason why this is the you know, this fall is going to be a big season because everybody's going to go back to school. They want to get their house sold and they want to move before everything, you know, they have to put their kids back through. But. Uh, we still see that there's shrinking inventory and there's nothing we can do about it right now. In fact, Robert Schiller, he came out and said that that's the one main driving force behind increasing home prices because of our inventory issue. But where we should see inventory build is on the high end and on the mid. It's the low and mid homes around 350,000. They're going to sell in a week. Yeah. Uh, They're going to sell almost immediately because they're easily financed and there's a lot of demand form from trend number two. In the near future, I predict <laughs> millennials will start to come into their own. I know a couple of millennials that they had fun in their 20s and they, they got their job going and they got their, uh, uh, how shall we say, the raves out of the way. And now they're starting to get serious and make babies. And suddenly the millennials are starting to come in their own with jobs and starting to come in their own with wanting to own a home. So millennials should be a bigger part of the buyers in the next three to five years. That's a trend. Where, where do millennials want to live right now? Where can they afford to buy? That's where your investment ideas can start coming together and go, aha, I get it. Low inventory. I get it. Um, high demand. I get it. You know, $350,000 home is what I should be looking at because that's where I might be able to get in. Because it's what, whatever perspective you're, you're at. If you're a builder, you're an investor and you want to make money, you have a lot of money to spend, you're going to probably build apartments right now. And that's the unfortunate part about the whole formula here. We have a massive buying pool. The millennials supposedly represent the largest buying pool we've ever seen in history, baby boomers, Generation X, and so on. And yet there's no affordable housing out there for them. And meanwhile, rents are high and it's draining their ability to save uh, down payment. They've they're they're carrying the largest amount of student debt uh, in history, and these are the people who are supposed to be buying houses. So where are they buying houses? That's a trend that we're de- we're certainly following right now. Um, it's it's got to be tough out there as a millennial saying I want to be close to the jobs, but I want to own a house, and you can't have both. Um, dual incomes are what we're seeing a lot of right now, Rob, right? Because that's really the only way that you can 
Is the same kind of environment you see in renting, where you're seeing two or three people living in a one or two bedroom apartment. Same thing we're seeing in, in single families or townhouses or condos when it comes to millennials buying. Unless unless you're getting get, we're seeing a lot of gifts from parents too. So again, as someone who we get questioned all the time, we got questioned last night, like where should I buy a, a rental property? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, take a look at just go Google where are millennials moving. That's your idea. That's your answer. And it's like millennials are going, like, I want to live in, like, Austin. Right? Like, right? Good. <laughs> because in Austin, that's the place where that, that Steve Austin $6 million man was from. Right? Really? Texas is... Don't mess with Texas, Don't man. mess with Texas, but a that, lot of that people lack are of income tax. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, so millennials, where they're, where they're showing their, we want pretzel hamburger buns. Go where the pretzel hamburger buns are being made, so to speak, because uh, they are the they are the the forty three percent of all originations and mortgages this year will be tied towards millennials. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area airwaves weekday mornings from seven to nine on AM twelve twenty KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at seven. I highly suggest. Every listener, get or share a subscription to the Wall Street Journal and Barron's. They are one in the same. And start reading business headlines and start saying, why is this important? Some headlines that jump out to me today. And again, I don't think I'm always right. Trust me. I've just done this a long time. And uh, I could teach you a lot about investing. A lot about investing. So some of the headlines that I see today, for instance, include Amazon is boosting the prices of its monthly Prime membership. I'm like, first of all, no, not Prime. I have Prime. But wait, wait. I have the annual, not the monthly. But they're boosting their, their membership fee 20%. No, God! So the online retailer says its annual membership of $99 will not change. But its monthly is going to jump from $10.99 to $12.99. And for college students, it's going to jump from $5.49 to $6.49. Um, and that starts off soon. Now, this is a show that I could replay a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. It could be an evergreen, in large part because this is a lesson on pricing power. Maybe Amazon's deciding that they don't want to lose money on the person who jumps in at Christmas time, does it for a month or two, gets a lot of individual packages sent to them, turns off their monthly fee right after that. Basically, finding a, a workaround for fast delivery that's not super expensive. So that story jumped out to me, and it's like, hmm, share that. It's pricing power. It's also telling you that um, the company is getting focused on earnings, and that could be an important thing for a company that's been focused on revenues. It could be interesting on a positive. It could be interesting on a negative. Because when you look at Amazon, you don't go, historically, this should trade at 20 times earnings. Or the market trades at 15, and it's at 20, and in the last five years, it's traded between 12 and 22, and it's currently at 21 times earnings, the price of the company versus the earnings that it generates. Uh, You don't value Amazon like that. You would say that it's at the high end of its PE in that case, or a company that's historically had a PE of 12 to 20, and it's currently at 13, you'd say it's the low end, and that may create some value. That's one way to start to look for stocks. You start comparing it against itself, and then you compare it against its peers with the price-to-sales ratio. 
how much is the company worth versus how many dollars of sales do they do? And different industries have different you know metrics to you key in on. Technology, for instance, uh, price to sales ratio of four. Um, wait, you can't say technology because software is four. Hardware, you'd probably want to go like two to three valuation. It's tricky. So, because you start looking at profit margins, you start looking at sales uh, cycles and how long they're going to last or not last. So, an analyst is out today and he's telling me something about the long term, in his opinion. There's a company called Square. I get my hair cut every five weeks, four weeks, five weeks. I don't have a lot of hair, so it's kind of silly, right? Uh, but also, I don't have a sexy woman who's willing to pull out the clippers and chop my hair up either. So I have to pay someone to do that. Payment company Square is, anagla, uh, is, is, is analogous to Amazon or Google in their early days, so says an analyst from Nomura today. And Nomura is not a big brokerage house. Nomura is a big research house. They're calling it a buy. They think the climb to, uh, to fame, and wait, I, I never finished my thought. I need more coffee. But so the analyst is saying that Square, which the woman who cuts my hair, when I pay her, she pulls out a credit card reader and she takes my credit card, zaps it right in, says, when would you like to make an appointment, blah, blah, blah. What do you want to tip me, blah, blah, blah. Here, move your finger and sign here, blah, blah, blah. And Square has a faster turnaround for small business merchants like herself. So it's attractive. So Nomura is saying they're calling it a buy, and they think it's very similar to Amazon or Google in the early days. They think Wall Street's valuing the company all wrong. So I'm fascinated because I know what Amazon and Google did in their early days. Nothing. They, they sat there and they moved up and down. And then they took off like a rocket. Boom, boom, boom. We're going to the moon. So Square's climb to fame is the result of its financial transaction technology, enabling small businesses to accept card payments through its software and hardware products. It's also developed what's called Square Cash, a means of sending and receiving money between individuals and businesses, very similar to PayPal's Venmo. In 10 years, Square is likely to be a very different company, helped by accelerating share gains from payment peers and relentless disruption of services like payroll and HR. Valuation should include mixed shift to large sellers, accelerating share gains, growing penetration of higher price transaction types like virtual terminals and e-commerce, as well as high margin services like Square Payment, uh, Square Capital, and payroll. Whoa. And then I'm thinking, like, who's going to buy them? PayPal could. Visa could. Apple? Sure, why not? Spin off what they don't like. Keep what they do. Um, so th that's a pretty powerful read right there. Square is going to be a very different company helped by accelerating share gains from payment peers and relentless disruption of services like payroll and H HR. And the analyst is very clear to say in 10 years. You know, he's saying, don't get instant gratification. This might be one to be added to your portfolio to look at, to maybe wait for a bad day in the market, maybe a bad report from the company. Because he believes that in 10 years. Now, this is where you start your research. You don't end your research on, hey, I read on the internet, somebody said this. He's got a $64 price target representing 59% upside from the close. The highest target on Wall Street. He believes that Wall Street doesn't see the bright future for Square because they are using conventional valuation methodologies. He's using a discounted cash flow model to come up with his target. Square shares are up 173% in the last 12 months. Now, wait. He's calling for 70% upside from here after it's already 
uh, 60% upside from here after it's already up 173% in the last 12 months. What if he's breading his butter? That worries me a bit. What if he's buttering his bread? <laughs> breading his butter. What if he's making milk pudding? How I'm going to be a grown-up boy one day. He thinks the continues going. He thinks the company is going to continue to grow up market. He's learned that more complex sellers have often established systems that are tailored to their businesses, such as e-commerce websites, custom point of sale, or inventory software. He thinks it's an open platform. Developers can connect these systems with Square, and it doesn't hurt that their CEO is Jack Dorsey. So just being compared to Amazon or Google, like. I don't know what you and your loved one are going to do this weekend, but maybe you can take her out, have a nice dinner. She looks at you and she goes, you're kind of like an early Amazon or Google. Man, your heart will swell. Because you know that soon they go boom, boom, boom. They're going to the moon. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. How are you? Let's get your behind you to retirement, shall we? Sweet. That's the goal of the show. So, Wendy's, Papa John's deal not happening right now. Wait, 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 what? That's the big headline, or that's one of the big headlines this morning. And there's a couple. There's a couple good ones for sure. Another big headline is tied towards media. And it's tied towards the idea that Disney is going to get, for better or for worse, 21st Century Fox. I think this is fine. As you're seeing Comcast pull out of that major acquisition spree. This is all essentially just trying to set up a competitor down the road to Netflix because Netflix is powerful. Who would have thought the company that delivered DVDs in the mail would go on to become an international media company. And ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox all have to be saying to themselves, I wish I would have thought of that. Are you with me or against me? That's a big headline out there. Now, the whole Papa John's headline, let me finish that real quick. Um, it turns that Papa John's, turns out Papa John's as a company was probably talking to Wendy's as a merger and acquisition partner, which is something that's happened Wendy's has done a lot of consolidation. Uh, Burger King has done a lot of consolidation. You know, the, the standalone company that's all by itself, like McDonald's, is a little bit more rare. So Papa John's and Wendy's tells you that Papa John sucks. It's telling you that they're, they're dealing not from strength but from weakness. And for years, it was a big battle between Domino's and Pizza Hut. And then it became a kind of a Domino's and Papa John's battle. You with me against me? Yes. Another new car company idea. And for the record, let me just finish the Papa John's statement here and say I probably wouldn't buy shares of Papa John's until some time has passed. The fact that they were considering a merger with Wendy's tells you that they're dealing with some weakness internally. Turo 
is once again changing the way we view transportation in the Bay Area, which I'm getting a little bit tired of being the comp- the, the dude that lives in the Bay Area and having all my friends go, hey, what's, what's up with this thing called Lyft? I, I, I hear you, you don't have to have a car in San Francisco. Like, uh, you can call a Lyft from uh, the restaurant you're at? Exactly. That's exactly how it works. And someone... Someone in their car will come pick you up. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a cabbie light or a may, maybe more cabbie friendly uh, scenario. It changed the world, right? And now everyone knows Lyft and Uber. And then the scooters came and the bike lanes. So the bike lanes were kind of a big thing. And I, I saw that more personally in Palo Alto happening before I saw it happening in San Francisco. Palo Alto, also known as Shallow Alto. Um... Long story short, is there a long story short? Probably not. There's a new car company. There's a new there's a new transportation play. Let's see if you're with me or against me. Now we know college is expensive as one in three parents are helping their kids pay for their college debt. So what are kids doing when they get out of college? Well, some of them get jobs and some of them get cars and some of them get, you know, homes. Live with girlfriends, boyfriends, kind of practice adulting as it's referred to. So there's now a company that says, you don't even need a car. And it's not Lyft or Uber. Turo is changing the economics of owning a car in cities like San Francisco. Turo, think of it as... The only word that keeps coming to my head is, is churro. But let's do turbo without a B. Car owners list their vehicles on the platform and lease them by the day. Hold on, wait, 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 wait. Car owners are leasing their cars on a day-by-day basis? The average host in San Francisco makes $672 a month on Turo, more than enough to cover the national average monthly car payment on a new vehicle. And we're seeing this with things like Teslas. One power host says her new Tesla Model 3 costs her practically nothing because she covers the cost by renting it to strangers via the Turo app. Now, this gets into a lot of issues on you know, insurance issues uh, when you're using your vehicle as you know, a business. But I'm not against it. You know, if you're a couple that lives in San Francisco, one of the most expensive cities in the United States, where you are jumping on Ubers and jumping on trains and running late, you're not driving all the time. And your Tesla just sits there and depreciates. So she, one of the power users, rents the car to strangers six days a week through the Turo app, which is a person-to-person car sharing service most easily described as Airbnb for cars. Wow. (laughs) Wow, right? So it changed the economics for an individual to own a car in cities like San Francisco. If you were to lease it out a couple days a week, car owners list their vehicles on the platform and try to lease them by the day. They can charge $29 to $200 a day. And this has got to make companies like Enterprise and Hertz all go, what the hell is going on? Right? Is it changing or is it not? Because I see it as changing. There's a kid on YouTube named Ryan. He's got Ryan's toy reviews. He pulls in $11 million in revenue from his YouTube account. Wow. Now, when I was seven, let's just say I wasn't making that much money. I was probably thinking about it. I was probably dreaming about it. A family-run YouTube channel, Ryan Toys Reviews, generates about $11 million in pre-tax income. 
Now, I've heard, like, here's where I'm getting at with this, is um, in third grade, my son knows a YouTuber. And I want to be very careful about names. He refers to him as my friend, the YouTuber. And I'm like, what's a YouTuber? Does he watch a lot of YouTube? No, no, he does a channel on YouTube. And ever since this has become public knowledge to my son, he's been basically asking me, begging me, pleading with me about starting a YouTube channel. And I get it. If I were a kid today, I would probably dream of becoming a YouTuber. Or maybe another job, which I've heard is incredibly discouraging, is reviewing content on Facebook. So there's going to be people who have to review all the videos. And supposedly it's dark at YouTube. Like, there's a lot of child sex photos being posted. There's a lot of child pornography being posted. Beheadings. Just horrible, horrible things, right? Animal abuse. And people have to watch that. And people have to say, this is inappropriate. We need to take this down. Because we have kind of a post-first shoot later kind of mentality. So we post it and then we, you know, I post a lot of my content from television and the plus and minus of that is, is crown wants me to do it. But anytime I do it with YouTube, they instantly come back and say, okay, we just saw, you talked about Disney, Disney acquiring 21st century Fox and you showed Mickey mouse. And do you have the rights to Mickey mouse? So I get like a form letter that it's been taken down unless I protested and say, I work for a news channel or something like that. So I protested. I say, I work for a news channel. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. So that's a job now of people who have to uh, review video. It's pretty discouraging, but you can start your own YouTube channel. Now, are you surprised that a seven-year-old is pulling in 10 plus million dollars? And you go back to YouTube. When did it start? Let me see if you know in your head. Throw it out there. Come on, say it. Say it. 2005. And since 2005, it's become the de facto launchpad for the next generation of internet celebrities. Long before Kim Kardashian probably leaked a sex tape. The old VHS camera, camcorder, I don't know what it was. Uh, And she becomes uber famous. And all of her sisters become uber famous. And all of her sisters become uber rich. And she becomes uber rich. Would she have... Would she have been anything if there was, you know, YouTube back in the day before she kind of got on her, quote unquote, uh, she got off her tushy. <laughs> I know you're saying you just made a tushy reference to Kim Kardashian. Yes, I did. Um, but her sister, Kylie Jenner, uh, just super famous. And they make their money on Instagram and they make their money on YouTube, and they make their money on, right? Being famous. There's one... If I were to go over the top ten YouTubers, like Lily Singh, I don't know her. Ryan's Toy Reviews, I didn't know him until today. Smosh, he makes $11 million a year. Jake Paul, I know because he's an idiot. Felix Kjaberg, PewDiePie, he makes $12 million a year. The number one earner, Dude Perfect, makes $14 million. Evan Fong makes fifteen and a half million, all doing YouTube content. Boy, talking about being born at the right time if you have this. But there's a guy named Dan TDM, sixteen and a half million dollars a year on YouTube. 
Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black. Yesterday, instead of spending a day enjoying the sunshine, I was reading S-Filings. These are not fun. But some of the stocks that I own and some of the stocks that I talk about on a regular basis, I got to do it. Just to make sure I don't mess you guys up too much with an inappropriate stock idea. I was looking through some of the Apple filings from insiders, insiders who sell their shares. Are they keeping pace with last year? Are they faster than last year? Or are they behind last year's numbers? And what I was surprised to find out is that some insiders haven't sold their shares. Now, insiders could be the CEO, the COO, the board of directors. It could be the head of software and services. It could be you know, someone who owns a large stake in the company. And what I'm finding is that a lot of insiders are not selling their shares this year so far. And does that tell you that they know something about the back half this year or maybe 2019 or 2020? I don't know. It doesn't, you can't read too much into it. It's just, again, one of the things you have to do is, is understand that these guys want boats. These guys want cars. These guys want houses. They want to diversify. And when you see them not selling, it makes you go like, hmm. So like CEO Tim Cook, by this time last year, he'd sold about $17 million worth or 138,000 shares um, by this time last year. So he had already sold $17 million through the first half of the year, essentially. For all of 2017, he sold 407,000 shares, $460 million. Um, so far this year, nothing. Now, you could argue that he's got enough money. He's, he doesn't have a cash flow problem, right? Or you could say maybe he's hoarding it for a reason. I don't know. It's just the work that I do for you, and I, I, I report it as I can. 800-516-1220 to each calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. The Dow Jones Industrial Average um, has had a big up move recently. But um, on a day-by-day basis, it's, it's really tough to say which direction we're going to go. A lot of the headlines are out there. You know, Comcast is up today because they are not going to pursue 21st Century Fox, even though they have pretty nice cash flow, and they probably could, you know, survive it. They just they don't want to pay that premium. eBay is down today after reporting second quarter earnings. The e-commerce site had revenue of 2.64 billion dollars. IBM up. They reported second quarter earnings better than expected. Um, and it's pretty simple. Not like, not like IBM said, you know, we're going to have a new phone or a new server or new anything. They said we did $20 billion of revenue and it is just that. Philip Morris is down 5%. Always fascinated to watch Philip Morris. Big fat dividend. Big play on smoking internationally. Which I was in a different state this week. I'm surprised how many people smoke. You really get kind of like used to not seeing it. And for whatever reason, when you see it, you're just like, whoa. Discovery was up 4% after Goldman Sachs added it to the firm's conviction buy list. It is a play on media. Square's up. One analyst says it's got a lot of upside. Square is a company that does credit card payments, right? Swipes, um, fintech, financial tech, 
I had to stop and think of that for a second. So YouTube stars was a segment I, I just did and how much money they make and how it's kind of a job of the future to jump on and distribute the content that direction. Um, I've tried, and it, it gets some traction. So I have a channel called Rob Black Show, but I haven't given it a lot of love, and I should. Not like I'm going to be making $15.5 million from it, but it's another distribution model of getting the information out there. What I was going to say during the last segment, because this is fascinating to me, is that some of these YouTube stars are now joining together, and they're doing basically celebrity boxing matches with themselves. Hey, I got 11 million followers, and I'll talk to a guy who's got 13 million followers, and let's pull our 24 million together and box. Now, part of me goes, that's stupid. I'd rather watch real boxing. But then again, it's not about me. If you could watch your favorite celebrity, and let's say your favorite celebrity is, oh, good God, let's go Kevin Bacon. If you could watch him box Geraldo Rivera, oh my, maybe you'd do my, it. My. Or Donald Trump against Barack Obama. Would you pay to watch two people box that aren't boxers? That's not even funny. Or would you just even give them your eyeballs and you could watch it that way? And they could sell advertising. And an advertiser would go, wait, you're going to deliver me up to 24 million of your users? An advertiser is going to jump all over that. So just throwing that out there for you. Elsewhere in the news today. Um, first time unemployment claims comes out on Thursdays. This is worthy of note because the claims, the first-time claims, dropped to the lowest level since 1969. We have a pretty darn good economy. We have jobs. So is that enough? It, it helps. It helps to stop the fear and uh, panic-mongering. I know, you're saying, but I don't like this president or that president. I don't like this Congress or that Congress. And it's all going to fall apart. Well, jobs, as long as we have jobs, we're going to spend money. Maybe we'll drink a little bit more during some administrations than others, but you get the idea. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.